Welcome everybody to episode 144 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And David. And tonight we are reviewing Can You Hear Me? Yeah, I can hear you. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Got that mic check out of the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, what's, what's the name of the episode again? Uh, can You Hear Me? Uh, well, yes, I can hear you, but the name of the episode... Uh, can you hear me? <laughs> ah, yes, okay, that's not bad. Um, okay, yes, episode. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. <laughs> <laughs> you muppet. Yeah. Uh, we should just do the whole podcast just doing, just doing basic, just, you know, basic jokiness around those few words. Uh, 30 goodness. minutes of, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Uh, is this thing on? <laughs> Tap, tap, tap. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. So anyway, so um, the episode. Charlene James and Chris Chibnall. Yeah. I, again, I felt that, that Charlene James wrote most of it and then Chris Chibnall wrote the end bit where Ryan goes, oh, why are we still traveling with the doctor? Hmm. That bit. That's, what, that's, uh, that, that's the impression that the episode gave me. That, that's the bit he wrote. So what I got is mm. that Charlene James had the basic you know, the plot story of Aleppo, the nightmares, the trapped god between the planets, that right. bit. And all the character beats were Chibnall's because it reminded oh, okay. me a yeah. lot of what... Actually, this is the first time uh, that Chibnall's delivered what I thought he would be delivering um, as showrunner, where we have interweaving, interwoven character bits uh, that connect with their past character moments, mm. uh, tying into what they thought about flying in the TARDIS, how their lives have been changing, all that, and then picking up extra passengers along the way, all the dinosaurs on a spaceship. So this is kind of like dinosaurs on a spaceship meets Power 3, which uh, in many ways kind of what I thought Chibnall Doctor Who would be like. And this is the first one that actually delivered on it. I was getting a yeah, very strong Power 3 vibes from it, actually. Mm-hmm. Especially from uh, Ian Gelder, whatever he's called. Um seemed very very um power of three villain e mm-hmm. um I, I have to i'm have to admit i was pretty underwhelmed by this to be honest oh really Ooh. yeah i think i think i'll have to beg to disagree i think this is one really? of the best ones in the chibnall Ooh. era actually oh, wow yeah oh, so okay. i think we have two differing opinions on this one there there's a disagreement on uh Metabulus disagreement two. <laughs> on the, the Metabulus two is two warring planets yes uh, egged on egged on by some random godlike figures from beyond space and time yeah um why was i underwhelmed um which is your question i guess mm-hmm. why were you underwhelmed why was i underwhelmed <sighs> i mean yeah okay maybe <laughs> underwhelmed is the wrong word i felt it all it felt it was a little bit perfunctory plot wise yeah i mean i you know totally agree with that yeah and there was some uh, maybe doctor who feels itself to be like super uh, up to date by mm-hmm. doing that kind of it's a myth from the past so we're going to do it as an animation but you know that is such a cliche in terms of like relaying myths of some kind mm-hmm. that that really mm-hmm. didn't work for Irk, me at all it did, it did irk me because again it's 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 sort of unnecessary mm-hmm. and it's never been done on the show before and that's no reason to start now, especially <laughs> especially if it's something that everyone else does. So, mm. it was using the language of television, though, for for telling this myth. It's it is it is cliched storytelling, but it is new to Doctor Who. It's it's almost as if it was, uh, um, 
Well, I was going to say it's kind of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy animation, but really it isn't. Yeah. It's more, I think, in line to if you've ever caught in the 1980s, which, of course, you wouldn't have, on early yeah. uh, public television, they would always, if a, if a, if a British show ran shorts because uh, so, they don't. Uh, yeah. generally play to the 60 minute 55 right, minute length right. they would show like an animation and i remember a, a story about an ojibwe story about how the loon got her voice or how she got a ring around her neck and and yeah. it was all done through this animation with a narrator and it was, it's it's using this language of animation and narration to tell a myth so yes it's it is done it's been done at least since the 1980s, but I thought it fit really well here for what they were trying to do. Was it necessary for the story? Uh, I I think this is where you have Charlene James's writing coming in, saying this is this is a story that she wanted to tell. She wanted to tell a story about these godlike immortals and this myth. So that's the way that she scripted it to be told. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my objection is that myth is usually told by the. Um told by the storyteller of some mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. if someone is weaving a story right. not by the protagonist themselves mm-hmm. so i don't know why when this was being told that they were using those i don't know what we were actually seeing there mm-hmm. if you see what i mean i think if you were going to do this visually you would have to have spent uh, money cgi or you know with extras and it wouldn't have looked nearly as good as the imagination so stick figure animation uh using yeah. this language of this is how we tell myths on television yeah I uh, guess. they, they kind of skate through it because they wanted to do an info dump and you could have just had the actor she could have just been speaking the actor yeah, being, she done. Yeah. Uh, claire hope Shetley, but uh, instead they did uh, the voiceover with the animation so it's it's I, it's a stylistic choice yeah yeah that yes that's uh, true I, I guess i would have preferred to have her act it hmm. um that would have been my preference but i mean no matter that's that's yeah i mean yeah i can see can see why they did it it's felt just a little bit kind of tacked on yeah, i'm not yeah. entirely sure still as i was thinking as i was was kind of mentioning last week i don't know why we were in 14th century aleppo hmm. that seemed to be kind of random um mm, it's the mental health aspect it was uh i think this is the educational remit and it was showing that the islamic doctors in aleppo were open-minded about treating mental health issues true so that was that was the introductory hook you could have had it in um, bedlam for an example but they weren't quite as as enlightened as the doctors in, yeah as the doctors in aleppo yeah i mean aleppo's only got another 20 years before it gets completely eradicated by um tamerlane coming in from the east and mm-hmm. everyone gets slaughtered so that that's kind of depressing if you know a little bit about aleppo right. is all of those people are, are going to die mm-hmm. in 20 well the one the ones who are still alive in 20 years are going to be slaughtered T- tahira and miriam probably yeah so yeah so i mean they haven't got long to live uh, so yeah i mean yeah <laughs> i mean i guess there's an educational remit there mm-hmm. um it seemed kind of random uh you know we could have said it in cairo Right. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, so that that that, that seemed kind of random to me. Mm-hmm. The whole kind of nightmare, the kind of feeding nightmare thing, it's not new. It it seems like a I don't know. It seemed like a it seemed like a it's like an assemblage. 
it again i mean i felt to me the show was more interested in the characters mm -hmm. their their own characters than it was in the plot which again is fine um it's but i think you, i think <laughs> if you're possibly going to do that maybe have the stakes slightly smaller mm -hmm. again you know it's that kind of uh mind robber um syndrome where <laughs> all of a sudden they spin yeah. on the heels and go now where are we going to go from the entire universe of sentient beings right let's go to earth Right. Yes, right. Earth is the place we will go. It's like, well, why? Well, Give because us a... she's been feeding them. Uh, Zelen's been feeding uh, Earth. her nightmares. Earth, Earth nightmares. Yeah. But then again, it's like, well, why Earth nightmares in particular, mm -hmm. rather than like mm -hmm. Ogron nightmares or you know any other <laughs> any other any other creatures nightmares? So that was getting me down a bit. Mm. Um, and then actually, the capper really was how mean the Doctor was to Graham at the end. Oh, I didn't read it as meanness at all. Really? I think that no, not at all. I read that oh, as okay. entirely as the explanation we were talking about last week, where you said uh, it's the doctor's job to be, uh, you know, going on the beach and talking to Jake and and having these heart to hearts. And this is not this doctor. This doctor, as she mm -hmm. said, is a little bit socially awkward and doesn't know what to say. And she was uh, when Graham was telling her about his fear of cancer she was hugging herself she was in a really defensive body body position she didn't these are the situations where this doctor doesn't know how to handle she isn't the touchy-feely doctor that smith or tenant was or even troughton with this emotional range she's much more uh, as she said socially awkward and she talked it out and graham kind of laughed and said you know it's good that we had this kind of talk but he realizes that this doctor isn't graham graham is the person you go to for this reassuring conversation but then where does graham turn i guess i i, I, I that's that that makes a lot of sense though then i guess my my disappointment then turns to the show itself hmm. um whereby you know we give yaz some comfort in her nightmares and we give uh ryan some comfort or Ryan's friend. Yeah, Tibble. We, we we give him some comfort in his nightmares, but we don't give Graham any comfort. I'm not sure we gave Ryan much comfort either because it was about him taking care of his friend, but, uh, and, you know, just jumping around, Ryan's nightmare is the earth is burning, he's ditched his friends, and they all turned into dregs. True. That is also true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, I just felt kind of sorry for Graham. That's mm -hmm. all. I mean, I guess you know. I mean, I, uh, I hear you. Yaz got the got the big kind of like uh, it's going to be, you know it was all right in the end arc thing. Mm -hmm. um, Graham didn't, um, and it was that and that was a terrible dream. Mm -hmm. That was a worse dream, I I would argue in some ways because it's more realistic than Ryan or or Yaz mm. um, because it is a dream which is based in reality. Like some people get cancer and then they get better. And then maybe the, you then have a dream that not only is your cancer returned, but also your dead wife, who you couldn't save, is also returned. Um, and accuses you of why didn't you save me? That was brutal. Yeah, and that is a and that is a that is a real that's kind of a real nightmare. I mean, you know, being concerned mm -hmm. about global warming and dreaming about some monsters you met on mm -hmm. a previous episode. It's not a it's not it's it's not right. really a real dream, if you see what I mean. So. But Yaz's was definitely definitely very real. I mean, she uh, she was suicidal. Is I think the takeaway that we we're uh, supposed to get there and. Sonia saved her life by calling the police. We hear the call that she doesn't, Sonia doesn't know where to turn, so she calls the police. 
this officer finds her. We have that scene. And then Yaz's nightmare in the middle of this is where Sonia doesn't call and where no one comes and saves her and no one comes and inter- true, true. Interrect, I- I- intercedes on her behalf. So I-, I think Yaz's nightmare is very real and very visceral and it's obviously still haunting her. And it might explain some of her character uh, in the past. I, my, my wish that this, is, mm. this was something earlier in even in series 11 even even introducing Tibble last season instead of the beginning of this season it's tying in these character moments a little more but i agree with you where ryan's nightmares falls short is it's more it, it doesn't hit home it, it it's more uh, a societal a bigger thing with his friends saying why you left me they they'll the earth is burning there are now drag monsters it, it, it's not as real yeah i mean one could imagine you know ryan having nightmares about you know his absent father or uh, yeah, but uh, we kind of dealt know, with that already. His inability to his his inability to ride a bike, something <laughs> like that, you know, which would have which would have made it more um, mm. made it more relevant. I don't know. Yeah. I think I think his friend accusing him of abandoning yeah. him in on the burning earth was pretty real. So I thought, okay. as nightmares yeah. went, they worked they worked for me as a viewer. Um, I liked even that the doctor had a nightmare. It wasn't very nightmarish. Uh, I did a little research, and it's. Uh, the Timeless Child is at the um, uh, memorial in South Africa for the Afrikaans language is where they are. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's okay. the Afrikaans Language Monument, built in 1975 in Western South Africa. Really? Yeah. Wow. That, that's, a, that's a good catch. So it's uh, somewhere, somewhere, uh, <laughs> somewhere in South Africa at a monument is the timeless child and the doctor hearing the master's voice echoing is her nightmare. I guess that's like mind of evil, but yeah. um, it, it did better with a nightmare, I think, than the, the God complex did for the doctor. At least right. they showed something rather than Matt Smith doctor opening door and said, what else could it be? And then closing the door. Right, right. Wow, Afrikaans language monument. That's kind of a scary sort of racist monument to be shooting things at, but I guess... Yeah, I don't know if it... I, I haven't had time to research what it is, but it's uh, one of the only monuments in the world devoted to a, a language. A language, but the great language. Obviously, it was erected during uh, the apartheid period in South Africa, so there's uh, probably some white supremacy there. Yeah, I'm on Wikipedia right now. It was it was erected on the 100th anniversary of the founding of Genuskap van Rijgate Afrikaans, the mm. Society of Real Afrikaners. So there you go, erected in 1975. Yeah, so mm-hmm. at the height of apartheid. Very nice. All right, interesting. <laughs> so picking up on, I think this was a really strong story for Yaz, and okay. I like the scene with her and... Nazreen Hussein, who played the officer Anita Patel, I I really like that, and I don't often feel emotional in Doctor Who, but when Yaz met the officer off duty in at her home, and when uh, Patel said, "I I flip and do remember you, Yasmin Khan," I thought that was really a touching bit, and those were the kind of the heartstrings character moments that I was expecting. Right, of Chibnall right. to be delivering. And this is the first time I felt that there was a really 
a strong pull of those heartstrings that there was a character moment in it. Yeah, no, that was, it was it was an affecting moment. I'm, I'm afraid at that point I, again, I I'd kind of I, tuned uh, out. <laughs> I can, not not tuned out, but I you know I was I was feeling negative about the episode, so I was mm. thinking to myself, okay, mm-hmm. so the arc is Yaz tries to run away. She gets for whatever reason, you know, she gets picked up you know, unusually by a you know a sympathetic police officer. Um, you know, who sets her back on the right path mm. um, and inspires her by that by that sympathy and mm-hmm. that care to join the police force mm-hmm. in Sheffield. Why has Yaz not contacted someone who she would probably work with on a daily basis before? Hmm. That's a weakness in that bit of writing. There you go. I mean, you know, I mean, I but guess... One, it, one, but it could but be yes, someone I mean, outside of Sheffield too. Yeah, I mean, I guess this Officer Patel could be, yeah, could be... Um, from another police, you know, maybe Yaz got as far as, I don't know, kind of Ilkley or something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Anyway. But from my uh, uh, understanding is if a police force has officers that are trained in dealing with mental health emergencies, they do try to send someone who is skilled right, in, with that in, that, kind of stuff. in that manner. Now, generally the per- in the U.S., they don't travel alone but maybe maybe it's different in the uk i you know it's certainly different for this for this particular show for the point of drama but i thought it was it was dramatic and it does finally give some insight into what is making yaz tick and behave the way she is and i think there's still more there to be revealed especially her background of being bullied and what what actually is going on yeah and i guess in some ways might explain why you know the the what we've what I've sort of been waiting for is her to be like you know snap out of it and become a police person you know in space mm-hmm. maybe she's not a good police person you know that there is actually you know um, there's more going on with Yaz than 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 just not being written as an effective policewoman right um, you know that actually she maybe she is no good at her job right or maybe she yeah not effective for a reason yeah exactly 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 for for a reason mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I mean I'll bear with you and say that you know some of that character <laughs> stuff is 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 reasonably effective. Um, I just didn't feel that the kind of space envelope with I've, the stakes were in disproportion for the story that they wanted to tell. Yeah, I could have, okay. I would have, I would have happened okay. to tamp the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. You know, we had something that's slightly more within human, you know, contemporary human experience, other than you know, Aleppo in the 1380s, <laughs> you know, that we that we had villains who weren't, you know, on the par with Guardians and the Eternals. Right. So, so just a smaller, for a smaller story that's about, you know, our, mm-hmm. our the characters that we care about, it's about their fears and their nightmares. Right. Something that was less, as, as I'm just repeating myself now, something that is, that is, that the stakes are smaller, the story is smaller, it's more intimate, you know, we're on, I don't know, we're right. s- something less, less universe spanning. Mm-hmm. I think it worked better with Listen, with uh, the Moffat story in that respect, yeah. aside from sticking Clara underneath the bed in, in the barn for that. Right. Bit. That's where Moffat lost me on that story. On this story, uh, I, I guess if I had a quibble, it would be, yeah, I would agree. The stakes are really high. And we've seen what the doctor does with immortals who get out of control, all of Sutek. And she puts them in a time tunnel and ages them to death. It, it's much like Tim Shaw, where Tim Shaw is trapped in 
amber or whatever contraption that he had these two gods are now trapped with this girl's nightmare monster and it's there's not that satisfying end for the the mainline plot the character beats hit really well but that mainline plot i think leaves a bit to be desired yeah and just perfunctory things like you know the doctor's you know, and it really is a magic wand. This this episode, the doctor's the doctor's magic wand is like just tucked inside her coat, and she's able to like flick it up into her hand, <laughs> um, and then release herself from the easily releasable handcuffs uh-huh. that these creatures from beyond space and time. You know, they can't even build an effective prison. You know, right. they've been trapped right. in an effective prison for you know millennia. At least one of them has. But the one who hasn't been trapped in a prison for millennia can't even build a proper prison himself. Right. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, and I guess, I mean, I get, you know, that they they do have to get out <laughs> in order for the plot to function properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe just a little more attention paid to making that something clever mm-hmm. rather than mm. she just uses the, the sonic screwdriver and with, you know, with a bound out, with a single bound, they are free. Yeah. But if you want to do these character beats, you're going to say, and you have 50 minutes to work in, you're going to cut corners somewhere and the sonic in this case is the magic wand that lets her get out the the whole idea of freeing uh the goddess from the prison you we don't see her hooking up the uh orb to the computational power of the tardis to solve the quantum locks or anything like that it's it's all secondary it's all superficial to the character beats that chibnall and james want to tell in the story Yes, it is. It is. It is. It is all superficial, which, which again, I, I, to me, then argues for a story which is that is smaller mm-hmm. and more kind of more uh, more controllable. Yeah. And um, that being said, I thought that Ian Gelder made a fantastic villain. Oh, superb! And I, I hope that the um, the size and complexity of his secret base means that maybe he's <laughs> going to come back. I don't know. That seems like a very complex set to to develop for just one episode maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe it's not that complex as that um and i thought his i thought his space girlfriend um <laughs> uh was also super cool as well so uh-huh. i mean i I'd, I'd be happy for them to return i would like them to be defeated less easily next time mm-hmm. okay did you like the name checking of the Eternals, Guardians, and Toymaker? That's always good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, the implication that maybe these are the same species or the same uh, ilk. genus ilk yeah. Yeah. as the toy maker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. is yeah. which is which is good. I thought it was good. It was a good fan service to us uh, old old fans. To us geezers, yeah, which is good. We demand that kind of stuff on a regular basis. I liked the twist that Zellen had of using the doctor's instincts against her to unleash Rakea uh, from her prison. And she knew that they were being targeted. The doctor knew that they were being targeted. So that was, uh, she fell for it. And this is an episode where the doctor doesn't win, but then she ultimately does win. So that's another theme that I think we're seeing quite a bit in the Chibnall era. And that was, and that was a pretty pleasurable twist um, to have, you know, because I mean, I guess in some ways I was, oh, Maybe the girl inside the bubble is the timeless child yeah, and she has to be yeah. released for a reason or something. So, you know, that was um, that was pretty well done. Yeah, um, you didn't twig that this was another villain in being no. trapped. Yeah. No, no, no. Because, I mean, he was so he was so incredibly, obviously, villainous with his all tattooed head and stuff. <laughs> um, that, you know, it's, yes, he was hard to, yes, that it's obvious. It wasn't obvious that they were, that they were, mm-hmm. they were friends. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought he explained the finger separation really good too, because he says it was so interesting, so to exist so small within molecules and atoms that he can reshape himself, regrow and mold his appearance to provoke fear. I thought, I thought he he had some really long soliloquies. Uh, the actor played Zellen, uh, Ian Gelder, and he did really well with them. And Jody uh, Whittaker uh, did really good reaction uh, acting to these things because without that combination, without those long speeches would have been tiresome. Absolutely, which is again is why I was I, I was disappointed by that animation. I would have preferred mm. them to act that to us rather yeah. than have you know a kind of the sort of pretty standard ooh it's a myth um animation mm-hmm. um and again my dad you know is just to return to my earlier point you have that kind of myth animation when there's a storyteller's telling it right not when someone who's actually being part of that story is telling right. it right to my mind right but anyway mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. This is, I think, this is this the second mental health episode we've had, or the first one at least since Vincent and the Doctor, where they've uh, uh, they've had a yeah. helpline at the end. Yeah, yeah, I think. Was there a helpline at the end? I missed that completely. Yeah, yeah, there was a a, 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 a UK number where you can go oh. get help if you have um, mental health issues you want to deal oh. with. So yeah, it enough. kind of fell in that. I, I I thought it was interesting. It was interesting writing that uh, James and Chibnall had about Zellin thinking that the the thing that sets humanity apart is the cruelty of their own minds. How they how humans how we deal with our doubts and fears and endless voices telling we're unworthy and capable and, and such like that. And the Doctor flips that and saying that's what makes humans so remarkable is despite all this we still get stuff done. Yeah, that was a good message. Um, it was good that Ryan was able to convince uh, Thibaut to get help and that, I mean, it, it was kind of a cliched uh, group therapy session, but I think narratively it was there to show what was going on. And and then we saw, uh, you, like we said earlier, Yasmin completing the circle by going and repaying the 50p to the police officer, which yeah. conveniently it was three years ago. And... I understand your letdown with with Graham telling the doctor that, but then where else would Graham go, I think? Graham, of all the companions, seems to be the most alone. Yeah. I mean, he has his mates that he's playing cards with, but yeah. I mean, they're, I'm not sure they're soulmates bits, you know. They're card-playing mates, yeah, yeah. Drinking yeah. buddies. Yeah, I was I was surprised they were they weren't in the pub actually. Yeah, um, it was a bit surprising to see them play cards mm-hmm. in that way. But I mean, I guess you know maybe <laughs> that's just adding something you know different to Graham's character. Maybe he's not maybe he's not like a pub goer. You know, maybe he's a a different kind of person. Um, I just felt sorry for Graham mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, uh, yeah, and and again, you know, if if the doctor is unable to to give sympathy in that way, he should know that by now. So again, one is a little bit confused why he would turn to her for reassurance mm-hmm. if he knows that she can't give him reassurance. You know, maybe I don't know. So yeah, that was that was just my feeling. I think that's more of a problem with the showrunner and missing these character beats all along. Right. And so when we get something that comes along like this, it really sticks out. And, and my reaction is sort of like, yeah, Chibnall, where have you been for the last year and a half or, or right. season and a half? This is what I was expecting. And your reaction is sort of like, well, 
it's just bad writing and you know it yeah i think it's bad show running more than anything else the writing is fine it's just out of place yeah 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 um graham's reaction i think was pretty good i mean he kind of laughed it off but i i you know i can see where you're coming from he was i i think he was looking for a reassurance that the doctor's seen the future and you know she may have and maybe the cancer does return and she doesn't want to say i i don't know Somehow, I don't. I doubt the show would get that complex and grim. But yes, mm-hmm. I mean that could be that. You know, maybe she does know that he's going to die. Yeah. Well, obviously he's mm-hmm. going to die. I mean that was the that's one of the challenges of the Doctor that you know all the companions age and die. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But you know she 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 can't give him the reassurance that he wants mm-hmm. that he's not going to get cancer again and die. Mm-hmm. He had some good lines, I thought, at the beginning. I mean, obviously the Doctor doesn't know. Graham and Graham plays along with that because earlier when the doctor is saying uh, someone's targeting and this was after Graham was telling him about the dreams of the planet where the uh, Rakea was planting the image of herself in Graham's mind um, the doctor saying someone's targeting us Graham do you have any idea where those planets might be and Graham goes oh I love that bit yeah it was great you get me an A to Z of the universe and I'll be able to stick my finger straight on. No, I don't have a no. freaking <laughs> idea where it is. And, I mean, that's yeah. that's perfect. And it, it does show the doctor really doesn't have a clue who she's traveling. I mean, she has, she doesn't have grips, a grip on that. These are just average people here. Right. And Graham goes along with it and sort of like, no doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a lot of funny lines in there just with uh, Ryan talking his way into his friend's flat saying, but I got chips. Yeah. yeah, It seemed realistic to me. Uh, Sonia's line uh, explaining why she got fired from her customer service job was excellent where she's saying, people are really annoying and they hate being told that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was good as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought the long speeches were good. The doctor's uh, rah-rah humanity speech was good. I thought the social awkward acknowledgement that she really didn't know what to say to Graham was well handled. You took have a different read on that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I'm, yeah. No, no, I, I, I no, that's uh, fine. It's fine. Well, let's see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It, uh, the, three more episodes. the other, the other bit that kind of left me going, it doesn't fit the whole fugitive of the Jadoon with, uh, the Joe Martin doctor, I'm not getting any more clues on that. Uh, we haven't seen the master return. Why introduce the master if you're not going to use the master? Uh, there's these series arc loose ends that aren't being woven in yet. And, you know, now we've had two, two episodes on the hoof without any acknowledgement or further development of this mysterious Joe Martin doctor. Yeah. Which I mean, they could have, you're right. They could have been slightly better weaving. And I I did get the impression that obviously she was going to dash off somewhere. The doctor was going to dash off somewhere when she was, kicking them out and then she got the you know got the distress call from aleppo and changed their mind um she was she was just going to dash ultimately she was just going to dash ahead till lunchtime when they were going to meet again oh she was just going to skip ahead she she was thinking about it and then she thought no and then why don't i just dash ahead to where her friends are and right through throughout the story when they wander off she says i'm talking to myself again and uh, it, it seemed to me that 
the story showed the doctor's loneliness in kind of subtle ways and just her inability to relate to Graham and the others. And she needs the people to show all the cool bits of the universe around to. So she's not just talking to herself. Yeah, I thought that was well done. I mean, I, I would like to see slightly more of that because it's 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 hard to, um, you know, it's a good kind of in-show explanation for mm-hmm. the show wanting to tell us things all the right, time. Right, right. I would like a little bit more of that kind of undermining um, to have that be a more kind of regular occurrence than it is because, you know, it, it, it does get a little bit irritating when, you know, the doctor is continually teaching us about things, especially things that, you know, we, we need to know about <laughs> like global warming, for instance. Right. But I, it's, it's, and it's, it, that was a nice undercutting of that kind of preachiness. Right. I felt. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the last note I, I think I have is the scene at the end when Zelen is harvesting nightmares and the mom says, there's no bogeyman, there's nothing to be worried about. And she leaves and the kid is still clearly terrified. And then Zelen appears and he says, that's not true. And his fingers separate. Or... That that was a nice spooky bit for the uh the behind the sofa age group, I thought. Yeah, I thought the separating fingers was very, was very. I mean, you know, Spooky. complaining about things not being original. I thought that was super original. I've never, <laughs> I've never seen, I've never seen anyone who with separating fingers before. So yeah. yeah, that's that was a good, that was a good piece of kind of actual kind of scary writing, which was you know unique to this show, I believe. Yeah. All in all, for me, it was pretty good episode. Uh, probably. Right now, it's sitting near the top of the season for me. Uh, well, I will have to watch it again and, <laughs> and, and, and try and reappraise my opinion. Yeah, I liked all the guest cast. I liked Officer Patel. I liked uh, Tahira. I liked Miriam. I liked Thibaut. I'm, I'm glad we got a few more scenes with him. So I like Sonia. I, 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 so there's a lot of things in here I liked. This was what, uh, this was the type of Chibnall Doctor Who that I was expecting, and it finally showed up for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I w- I've been so excited for Chibnall's Doctor Who to finally show up, but yes, this is maybe more of what... <laughs> well, put it this way, this is what I thought we would be getting, so it's nice to see what finally finally, finally show it. up. So this, yeah, is, fair this is what I was expecting. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. And then, uh, right, and then next week we're off to um, we're off to the Villa Polidori, whatever it's called. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, which doesn't sound like it's going to talk about the mysterious doctor either. <laughs> it's, isn't this a cue for the for the lone Cyberman to turn up, though? Hmm. Hadn't thought of that. I mean, given given that Cybermen are basically Frankenstein's, hmm. or Frankenstein's monster, to be more accurate. Um, you know, they're they're assembled from body parts. Yeah. I'm think I'm thinking this is where the lone Cyberman will turn up. That's my call for next week. Huh, okay. And remember, when you see the lone Cyberman, don't give him what he wants. Well, he probably wants a cuppa or something. Well, yeah, probably wants to find, to be given some other Cyberman friends to hang out with. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? No, that's my call. I think, I think, that, I think, that, I think it's in some way, um, Mary Shelley is going to summon the lone Cyberman in some way. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. I can't okay. see how that would happen because I can't actually see if that, if that is the right. case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we shall see. We shall see. We will. We will. We will. Well, very good then. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, Clem Fan Chibnall. <laughs> <laughs> Clem, Clem Fan Chibnall. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 144 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been hearing Ben. And I have been assiduously listening to David. Until the haunting of the Villa Diodarte. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. From Gallifrey. (laughs) Exactly. Blimey, of course.